Welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. The date is Wednesday, July 14th, 2021. So excited to be back with you. We do have some news. The Magic hiring a new head coach. Magic uh, officially hired Jamal Mosley as the 15th head coach in franchise history. That came down over the weekend. We heard uh, from Coach Mose, as as many call him, uh, on Monday. Great press conference with him. Great addition of the pod squad. Dante, George, and JT caught up. Uh, with Jamal Mosley and a lot of insight there. If you haven't listened yet, I would advise you to make sure you check that out. Available wherever you get your uh, your podcast. And it's an exciting time. You got a young roster, you got a young head coach, uh, and you got two draft picks coming up in what about two weeks uh, on the 29th. Picks number five and eight in the NBA draft. So uh, a summer of change in Central Florida, and I'm very excited uh, to speak with my guest today here on the podcast. He has known Jamal Mosley for pretty much the entirety of Jamal's coaching uh, and player development career, and uh, let's get to that now. And my guest this week on the Magic Weekly Podcast, only five men in NBA history have won more games than he has as, uh, as head coach. Cavaliers, Warriors, Sonics, Bucks, Nuggets, uh, Kings with stops in between, of course, the great George Carl, my guest this week uh, on Magic Weekly. Coach, how are you? Thanks so much for taking some time. I appreciate it. Well, I'm enjoying the All-Star Weekend out here in Denver. And uh, summertime is always fun because you don't have win-lose over your head. And, <laughs> you know, you're trying to get better. You're trying to make a trade. You're trying to sign a free agent. And, you know, being a spectator, being a fan now, it's uh, even more exciting. What, uh, what, what, what's the city been like? I had a cousin. He took my, uh, my cousin took his son, who was about four years old, from Philadelphia to Denver for the Home Run Derby and for, uh, and for the game last night. It's got to be an exciting time uh, in Denver right now. Yeah, the city seems to get – this was the first event that I think the city's kind of forgotten about COVID a little mm. bit, and, and it lit up the city. Um. I mean, it's really, it's really a great town. I mean, I mean, it's uh, Denver is. I've lived here now about sixteen years, and and I've lived in about twenty five different cities over my lifetime, and this is by far the, my my favorite city. And it's got great energy, great. Uh, it's growing a little too fast. The traffic's <laughs> getting a little stupid, uh, but. Most people in, in America think Colorado is a cold, uh, snowy city. And it has the most – Denver, I think it has it had the most sunshiny days in America. It's like 300 days a year, isn't it? They're the yeah. real sunshine state out there. And, and we get our blizzards. We get our 20 inches once in a while. And, but it goes away pretty quick. And uh, I, I – you know – it's kind of funny. Towards the end of my career, I found this city that I really probably am going to live in the rest of my life. That's uh, that's a great transition, I think, because obviously, uh, what I wanted to speak to you about today, and again, I, I could ask you about a million questions, um, but Jamal Mosley, and that's where it all started between you and Jamal Mosley, uh, the 15th head coach in Orlando Magic franchise history. We had a chance to hear from him on Monday. Everybody in Central Florida just thrilled uh, to add a, a guy of that caliber. Jeff Weltman made sure he pointed out. Jamal Mosley had and has options, uh, and, and he was a very well-sought-after um, assistant coach. He obviously spent time with Coach Carlisle over the last seven seasons in Dallas, but he made, he made a point, and, and many have made a point, 
to, to sort of single out his relationship with you, uh, with Coach Gerg, with Coach Welch, um, and the time in Denver. And if you think back to, to first meeting him and, and, and sort of that time, uh, what did you know about Jamal Mosley when you first met him? And, and when did you kind of know this, this guy's got the goods? Uh, you know, he was recommended to me by a couple of friends out of California. Um, we had a workout in a, a small gym downtown Denver. We were working, I think, a, a draft pick player or something like that. Um, I knew he was from University of Colorado, Milwaukee, and there's some roots that were similar to my, my path. Sure. Um, I was impressed. First thing I was impressed was, was he was a pretty good basketball player. Hmm. You know, you know, I like my young assistant coaches to be able to play a little bit. And he definitely qualified being six, seven. He could cover big guys. He can cover little guys. Um, but when I sat down and talked with him, the thing I saw was I felt I saw a man that had commitment and passion in his life towards the game of basketball. Uh, I'm a big positivity guy. Uh, in the NBA, you know, you, you can play really well and be on a long losing streak, and you got to be positive every morning when you wake up. Jamal had that personality from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, we didn't have a spot for him. And mm -hmm. I, I actually had to pay him out of my own pocket. I know the first two years, but maybe even the first three years. And I wasn't paying him a lot of money. I mean – I mean, he, he was definitely on uh, just above poverty, uh, money-making-wise. Making it work, right? He's kind of like my Eric Spolstra. You know, he started at the bottom. He kept his mouth shut. He went to work. He was, a, he, you know, he, it was very clear he was a gym rat. And, you know, Tim Gergeridge and John Welsh are gym rats. So I had three of the best person, I mean, the player development guys in the league, in my opinion. I think, I think all three of those guys could have gone anywhere and had success as, as a player development guy. Gerg was my guy from way back in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. John Welsh, I found my second year here in Denver. And they just know how to make guys better. They, they're passionate. They're, they communicate well with the young player. And I think what you're going to like about Jamal Mosley is he's, he reminds me, uh, you know, of a, a lot of a Carolina guy because at Carolina, we, we love the game, but we also love being balanced as a human being. And uh, Jamal Mosley is not only a hell of a basketball coach, he's a hell of a human being. I've heard it described as sort of the birth of player development. Can you talk about the – the it's almost like a, a its own cottage industry now i mean play, it's it's weird for me to think about an nba coaching staff without player development specialists but not too long ago that was the case not too long ago it, you know coaches of the year had two assistant coaches for talking about the staff has grown so big um but but just sort of where player development came from and um, and, and, and I guess how important you think it is now, it, 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 again, it's weird for me to even think about a coaching staff without, without specialists in that department. Well, you know, player development usually was your assistant coaches. Right. And you only had one or two or three, as you said. Tim Gergeridge was my first guy that I'd run on. And we had Gary Payton and Sean Kemp in Seattle when I got to Gerd. 
And uh, we started going to Vegas, you know, because uh, Gary and Sean would go to Vegas. They would meet us in Vegas. They liked Vegas. And and that was in the mid-90s. And it just expanded and exploded to now there's an NBA camp in Vegas every summer in August where you have about 60 assistant coaches and a bunch of young players come in and, and you kind of learn how to about, about player development, but how, how to be a professional, you know, how much work it takes to get better at the game of basketball and how committed you got to be and how you got to get into a pattern, a plan, a process that you do things every day or every other day and you work on your game. And, uh, and that's, as I said, it's now, the culture of player development is probably a priority of most managements now in hiring a coach. You know, they want a committed, they want a person committed to the gym, also committed to getting, you know, winning games. But I mean, Orlando is in a position that winning games is probably not the top priority for at least one year. And it may be two or three years with all the young kids you're going to put on your roster. You mentioned positivity and how important it is. You know, you got to wake up the next morning. You got to have a short memory as a coach, as a player, really as any competitor at a high level. Um, is that is that something that you think? Because you always hear, and I think you said specifically about Coach Mosley that he's an old school coach with a new school approach, and the game has changed. The league has changed so much as far as the power that players wield um, and the money and all of that. But really, you know, you need to be. You can't be a hard-driving coach, I don't think, like like you used to be able to be. How, how do you sort of toe that line, and do you think Jamal will be good at it um, as as a positive sort of uh, reinforcing type guy, but then also making sure the work's getting done and that you're getting the best out of your players? Well, you know, there's – I think right now what I found out over my years when I got back here in Denver, you know, my commitment was to be good in the gym not worry about the media, not worry about my image, not worry about, you know, what, what people outside the game of basketball think of me. And that commitment came from the philosophy of win games and, and have a culture that players get better. Because players want to get better. Players understand if they get better, they make more money, they have a chance to last longer in the league. Uh, and, and that's what we were. In Denver, I mean, we were, you know, we just had a system that we, we never won the big game. We never got to the finals or the, we got to conference finals one time, but we won games and almost everybody that came through here got better as a basketball player. They learned the game, but they also improved on their skills. We had a great weight coach and Steve Hess. And so they got, they got, they got an NBA body and they learned how to be a pro. And I think so many college young players don't understand how hard the commitment is to be a pro for a 10-year period of time. It's a lifestyle. It's a little bit of a cultural style. But if you don't have commitment to the gym to get better, you're not going to last a long time unless you're ultra, ultra talented. Are there a few reasons you think that that's the case that a lot of times you've got players coming into the league who don't necessarily understand what it takes? And, and, and I'm sure this goes back to AAU. 
I'm sure this goes back to, to 19 year olds and, you know, not getting that coaching at, a, at the college level as sort of an intermediary. Um, but has it changed pretty drastically over the last 20 years or so? Um, just the, I, I guess the readiness uh, when guys hit the league. Yeah. I think a lot of players now have their own workout. Day. Yeah. I mean, and that's not my favorite thing. You know, when I was coaching, I, I like my guys to touch my players. What you want to do on your free time, you can do. Um, but it's definitely changed. It's growing. There are a lot of good teachers now of skills. Um, but I like, it. I like, it. I like my, my development to be more not only of skill development, but also knowing how to play basketball. You know, uh, I don't think players play enough three-on-three. Three. I don't think they play enough four-on-four. I like decision making. I think today's game, you got to be good decision makers at both ends of the court. Yeah. And you don't do that by just shooting jump shots or working on your jab step or working on your spin move or, or your drop step, whatever you're working on. You got to, you got to put it and incorporate it into a game where you got to make a quick decision to do something that can be bring success to your, your situation. Uh, Coach Mosley in his intro press conference was asked about his offensive philosophies and he just said, we're going to play with pace. We're going to play with space. We're going to use space and we're going to use the pass. And I thought to myself, boy, what a, what a, what a lost concept. What a, what a, what a profound notion pass the ball. I mean, it's what you're saying today. It feels like everybody wants to be Steph and Steph's a great passer, of course, but everybody wants to be a perimeter jump shooter and you can make, you can carve out a great career if you defend and if you make good decisions and keep moving that ball and you just don't see it as much as you used to. Well, I think uh, the NBA is going through an epidemic of bad shot selection. Mm. I think the last two years, whatever, you want to blame it on COVID, you want to blame it on the bubble, you want to blame it on no fans in the building. I think the offenses have gotten explosive, but they've also gotten more stupid mm. in, in the shot selection. You know, my, my foundation and belief in the shot selection came in North Carolina. You couldn't take a bad shot in North Carolina. You didn't play. And then I watched San Antonio Spurs for so many years win championships by just being smart, by just not, make, just not making bad decisions and bad shot selection. Bad shot selection creates a lot of bad things on the basketball court. And because of the epidemic of shooting the three ball, the analytics saying we got to shoot more, blah, 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 I still think shot selection has got to be a priority. And the key to shot selection is passing the basketball. When a guy is open, he gets the ball on time. He gets the ball in, in a good pocket, and he, and, he, and he can make a quick decision, shoot, pass, drive. Um, and I think Jamal knows that almost all NBA teams that are, have a championship breed are very unselfish, and they find the open man. The ball finds the best players. Uh, it just has a knack to it. it has a, 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 there's a chemistry that comes with five talented kids playing together and not having any, just having we in mind and not me in mind. Rising tide lifts all ships, right? I mean, that's, that's basically what it is. Everybody loves winning. And like you said, you win, you make more money, and then everybody's happy. Um, you, you mentioned North Carolina, and I do want to ask you about that. The development of, of men as opposed to just players. 
what makes you think Jamal Mosley will be ideal for this role? Because it is a young roster. You mentioned it's, it's sort of year one of a rebuild. They made a lot of changes at the trade deadline last year. A lot of young guys in here. How, how big a part of the job do you think for Coach Mosley will be developing those guys into young men, let alone good basketball players? I think, um, I mean, every, every NBA team has got to get a level, a line of, of, of talent. You know, mm-hmm. you got to have speed, you got to have quickness, you got to have shooting, you got to have defenders. I mean, Jamal will do a good job with figuring out the plus and minuses of his players. I think the keys are that Jamal, I don't know if he understands. I have not had a long talk with him about it, but I think the big thing for him is he's got to be the leader of his team until a leader appears on the board. I don't know anything about the Orlando Magic and who, who, the personality of their team in the locker room, the personality of their team on the practice court. But, I mean, Jamal is going to be a good leader. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't back off of challenges. Uh, he's an energized guy. And I think, you know, I mean, there are a lot of minefields that are going to come to him. He's got to figure out. I mean, losing is not going to be easy for him. He, he's been with a winning program most of his career. And how is he going to handle that seven-game losing streak or a five-game losing streak or losing eight out of nine or something like that? Um, and he's got, to stay, he's got to stay above that line of, of neg- negativity, you know. Uh, but I think Jamal is going to be great. And the reason I feel that way is one, he's, he's got he's got great he's been he's had a great career being under good coaches and people know know how to coach the game. The second thing is he's he's had, he has a fiber of of character and substance and soulfulness mm. that I think will relate to the young player today. I think today's young player has got to be communicated with more than ever before. Players want a connection. And they just don't want to be told to do something. They want to understand why you're doing it as much as ever before. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I've been in coaching a long time. And I, I, I like communicating with my players. But there are times on the basketball court that the coaches going to have to be a dictator. And those are going to be tough times. But in the same sense, I think, you know, I, I, I think I just have a, a, a real positive energy that Jamal's going to be ready for the challenge and the people of Orlando and the Magic people organization are going to be very happy with what they've decided. When you talk about leadership, especially with young rosters, I think this is kind of interesting. The idea of having some veterans there to be sort of the intermediary between the coaching staff uh, and the players on the floor um, I spent time in Detroit when Stan Van Gundy was there and I was working with Rick Mahorn on the radio broadcast and both told me that the leader, the coach can't be the ultimate leader. You better have some veterans in that locker room who are either repeating what it is the coach says or who are, who, who are sort of have their own agenda, who are great enough players that everybody is falling in line and they're, they're that natural leader. Um, do you subscribe to that? I mean, can, can a great team have the coach be the leader or do you need guys in that locker room who are sort of taking that mantle and being that leader out on the floor as well? Or is it both? I think it's both, but I think championship teams have a real leader. Yeah. I think winning teams have a protocol of who the two, one or two or three guys that have a voice with their team. And good, great leadership, 
I mean, I'll tell you, the two best leaders I've ever had are coaching in the NBA today, Nate McMillan, Chauncey Billups. Mm. Those are the two. I mean, I went into Seattle. Seattle was crazy. And Nate McMillan was the leader of that team and with me and Gerd and he. And we, we settled it down and made it into a champ and went to the finals. Here in Denver, the year we had AI and Mello and that, that experiment wasn't working. We won a lot of games, but we weren't, we weren't ever a threat to the league. We make the AI Chauncey Billups trade. And, you know, AI might be more talented than Chauncey, but Chauncey is a leader. Chauncey's a winner. Chauncey controls the locker room. Chauncey's the voice of the coach to the player. And all those things over an, a, a season where you play 100 games, the, the game is a lot – the game is a lot easier to coach when the, NBA, when, the, when the NBA coach has a leader in that locker room that supports the coach. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was, uh, who's the best leader you ever worked with or for? I, I assume it all goes back to Coach Smith for you? My Carolina roots are long. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, Coach Smith is a marvelous human being. He, he taught me so many things. Bill Guthridge was probably, I was closer to probably Bill Guthridge more than I was with Coach Smith, but I was close to both of them. Uh, they cared about me as, as a human being. Uh, it went on from there to uh, my first year out of college. I went to Russia with, on the USA team and coached with Larry Brown. And then I went to San Antonio and ran into Doug Moe. And so my Carolina roots have been with me for a long time. Uh, you know, I've been blessed with guys like Dell Harris in my life and Rick Harris in my life. Don Nelson is, was pivotal in my young career, getting me a job in Golden State early in my career. Uh, I've been blessed. I've, I've had good mentors throughout my life. And I, I actually like, you know, my, what I'm proud of now is my kind of my coaching tree. You know, I'm mentoring guys. Look out, Pop. And, and you know, I'm 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 loving that Jamal's going to get a chance. I'm hoping that Darvin Ham gets Ham gets a chance. Still got Dwayne Casey out there. Terry Stotts, I think, is good enough to get another job very soon. Chauncey Billups, you know, I'm I'm sure he, I'm sure Larry Brown's had a lot of influence on him, but I think Chauncey liked his time here in Denver, and. You know, and I got a lot of assistant coaches hanging out in the league. And so when I come through Denver, I get a lot of free meals. <laughs> and Scott Brooks up with Chauncey now in Portland. That's a great question, Coach. I mean, who are you going to cheer for next year? Uh, yeah, I mean, your tree is starting to rival the, the Greg Popovich tree here. Um, you know, let's just say you got Portland and uh, Orlando in the NBA Finals next year. Where do your allegiances lie? Woo. <laughs> well... I'd probably I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I don't know if you need to worry about that uh, just, just just this quickly yet. But. I, I probably tilt to do I like I like good point guards, and I think Portland's probably going to have the best point guard. That's a that's a that's a great point. Uh, before we go, a couple quick questions. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, how great is it to be watching these finals to see Milwaukee alive again, like it was really not since you were there uh, right. with the big three, those great teams. Um, Phoenix is a, a great fan base. It's been, you know, kind of down for a while. That goes back to, uh, to I guess, Coach D'Antoni and Steve Nash last time they had um, success at this level, and, and they really 
even didn't reach it at that point. This is a great finals, isn't it, for, for real basketball fans and for fans of markets um, that, that have great fans but haven't had a whole lot to cheer for for, for a while now. Well, fans getting back in the building, I've, I felt for a year and three quarters, I don't know what we were watching, but it wasn't NBA basketball. Yep. It was kind of like pseudo-NBA basketball or fake NBA basketball or NBA basketball in the bubble, whatever you want. I mean, it was just like, this is – and the things that matter in, in the games now are back. The fans matter. The intensity of the building matters. Players have pride. When they lose two in a row, they come back and they fight harder. And all those things now are on stage, on stage right now in front of us. It's a nice game, I think, is – I think no one wants to talk about game four, but when, when, a, when a, a match is pretty even, which I think, this, I think this matchup is pretty even, what it comes down to is a lot what happens in game four. Mm. If Milwaukee can even this thing up, I think it's a toss-up. Yeah. And I, and I think Phoenix knows that. Phoenix knows that Milwaukee found some weaknesses in game three. You know, the size problem that Phoenix has right now, um, I think if Aiden gets in foul trouble, the, the, tilt, the, the, the series tilts in Milwaukee's favor. And you never know. You know, there could be an injury. There could be, you know, there's probably going to be someone slumps, and there's probably going to be someone who's going to rise. And uh, it kind of all starts in game four, three and game four, game three and game four. No one ever want to talk about, but I think they're really strategically important in that seven-game series. That's a, that's a really interesting point. I haven't heard it very often, but it goes back to the whole, you know, you, the series doesn't start until, uh, until the home team loses a game. I mean, if everybody holds serve, then you end up with that game four. Uh, and certainly Milwaukee, I think, proved in game three that they are very much in this series, and it's going to be a raucous atmosphere uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin tonight. Uh, before we go, Coach, I, I do want to ask you about what you're doing these days, Truth Plus Media. Um, is that how you're, is that what most of your time is, is being devoted to? And, and can you explain it to me a little bit? Truth Plus Media is just a podcast. Yes. Me, I mean, we have like, my son has a podcast. I have a podcast. We, we partner up with Forgotten Seasons, which is a great podcast on uh, teams that didn't win championships, but had great years. Mm. Uh, we just released a new one in about a month, about a couple of weeks on called Truth and Tribe, which is a uh, a little bit of a, a microscopic and in, 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 in perspective on military leadership, comparing it to athletic leadership, and I think that's going to be really fun to be a part of. Great. All I want is I don't know what happened in the last five or six or seven years, but. I like to live by the motto to tell the truth is pretty cool. Being honest is real. And now we have perception and spin and PR. And for me, a lot of bull, a lot of BS and people are trying to trick me and they think I'm, I'm an old guy that might be stupid, but I can tell when a guy's trying to trick me. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty damn easy. And I like to get back to the, the old-fashioned way of tell the truth, be honest with it. Whatever negativity comes with it, you can get through it, pick yourself up, persevere, and go on. And, uh, and so we kind of take truth. We like to do podcasts that have some soulful meaning, some deeper meaning than just 
the spin of gossip in the NBA or, you know, or I think, you know, when you interview a lot of people, you know, when someone's BSing you and you know, when someone's telling the truth. Yeah. And everybody has a voice these days. And that's something that I've sort of, uh, I guess, grown through. I mean, I'm 37. I graduated with an actual journalism degree and I was going to write for newspapers 15 years ago. My, 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 how, how foolish I was thinking that was going to be the case. But I, you know, I subscribe to the school of thought that you have to earn your voice, that you have to, uh, you, you have to, to earn your way onto the pages of a newspaper or the airwaves of a radio station. And that's just not the case anymore. Everybody has their own handle and their own podcast and away they go. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's in the, you know, my whole thing is so much of sports media is he, one guy takes this side, another guy takes this side, and they argue. And, you know, the, 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 the bottom line in sports, especially team sports, is how you connect and commit to one another. And we never talk about trust and belief in each other. And it's a we game rather than a me game. And, and the connection of making a team function is probably the most powerful thing a coach can bring to an organization. Last thing for me, because I did want to ask you about this. Um, there's been a lot of reporting and, and a lot of everything about you and Carmelo Anthony and your relationship. What, what did it feel like to see him win the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Social Justice Award, the first uh, award given out? Um, just having known Carmelo as a, uh, a young player in Denver and, and seeing where he is now, that's got to be uh, – that had to be pretty special for you. I think Melo, his last two or three years, I'm really impressed with where he's come. I mean, I think I've, I mean, Melo and I didn't have a combative relationship. We had maybe a passive aggressive relationship with one another. And I, I have tremendous respect for Melo, what he did for my career, what he did for the city of Denver. And I have tremendous respect for, for a guy that can score. I mean, even though I, I don't like sometimes bad shots and selfish play bought drive me crazy, but Doing what Melo does is not easy. He's a top 10 scorer in the NBA. And getting that award, which is kind of funny, on the George, George Floyd, it's George Floyd, the incidents of last year, I have a foundation that right now is very cancer-oriented. Uh, you know, proactivity, mentoring patients, sure. helping people after their treatments. And I'm thinking about changing my foundation now to social injustices. Mm. So I'm actually very, very in line with what Mello has done. And I think it's fantastic that the NBA is trying to figure out how to have a voice, not only in basketball, but voice to help our country to grow up and become a better country. Certainly both, both great causes, and, and, and we do know how much work you and Kobe have done uh, fighting cancer, and, and, and that is a great cause, and, and obviously everything Carmelo's done, um, a great cause as well. I think either way, Coach, uh, we appreciate uh, all of the work you do to make this country a better place, and hopefully uh, we'll stamp cancer out sooner than later. Um, continued health and success. Thank you so much for the time. This has been a real treat for me. Uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Okay, Jake. Blessings to you. Thank you very much. And again, a big thanks to Coach Carl for joining us. Uh, what a treat for me to be able to talk to one of the winningest coaches in NBA history and a lot of great insight there um, on the Magic's newest edition, Magic head coach, 
Jamal Mosley. Jake Chapman here with you. We've got a ton of draft content coming your way over the next two weeks. And a reminder, make sure you check out the Magic Draft Party um, on July 29th. It begins at 7 p.m. at Amway Center. Admission's free, guys. So you have no excuse, really, uh, not to join us. There's going to be a whole lot of giveaways. You will be with Magic fans when picks number five and eight, assuming those are the picks, um, are announced. So very excited to get to that and uh, very excited to see all of you guys Back where you belong, at the Amway Center with us on July 29th for the Orlando Magic Draft Party. Jake Chapman here with you. Make sure you give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Jake Chapman OM. I'll be back soon with another edition of the Magic Weekly Podcast. Until then, be well, everybody.